This is your station, your music, the world famous. WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Elliman. The show where we talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports right here on 90.7 WXIN. I'm alone here right now, but as we are every day, we will be being joined by Joe Goodred of Real Sports 101.com at about 445. We'll be talking about the Patriots' upcoming game. We also have a lot of other stuff to talk about today. The Celtics have won nine straight. The Patriots are facing off against Denver. We have basically at the midseason point in the NFL right now, so we have a lot to talk about there. The Bruins are facing a lot of injury problems right now, and even the Red Sox, a couple of Red Sox won some awards, a couple have not. Anyway, though, if you want to chime in about any of these topics, don't forget to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Or if you're watching on the official Stadium Experience live stream on the official Stadium Experience Facebook page, don't forget to drop me a comment. Tell me something you want to talk about. Tell me something you want me to talk about. Anyway, though, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And with all that out of the way, we're going to dive right in. So, the Celtics, sans Gordon Hayward, after starting 0-2, have obviously gone on to win. Hello, Gwen. Have gone on and won, rattled off nine straight wins the last couple of weeks now, which is obviously very impressive. They were the first team in NBA history to start off 0-2 and win six straight games. And they just keep adding to that odd but nonetheless very impressive record which is you know it's good to see that for the team now I am of the opinion that I want to be hesitant to deem anything about this team quite yet I think that early season NBA is a very very fickle thing it's a very weird thing if weird things are going to happen in the season that will not make sense later on they're going to happen in the first 10 games of the season so I want to pump the brakes on, you know, any grand declarations of what the Celtics are, of what, but nevertheless, I still want to talk about what the Celtics are because, you know, now, you know, they've played a couple more quality teams than maybe they had at the beginning of the streak with the Thunder, with, they played the Bucks again. So let's, let's talk about what the Celtics team has done so far. And number one, the biggest thing is that I was... 110% wrong about any any kind of take I had about how, ooh, you know, Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas actually way closer than a lot of us think they are. Maybe, you know, in the long term, Kyrie is a better option. But right now, you know, him and Isaiah, the stats are pretty similar. The scoring ability is pretty similar. What they give you on defense pretty similar. Wrong. Wrong. I was so wrong about that, for one thing. Just so, so <laughs> just obscenely wrong. So, yeah, Kyrie against the Hawks the other night, where he scored 35 points, was just doing things that, in that fourth quarter, was just doing things that were just blowing me away. It, he was proving himself, you know, that he really is one of the, you know, the super, at least not quite a superstar, but he's a guy who has the potential to be one of the superstars of the NBA. He hasn't been putting up the numbers consistently here yet. He's only averaging 24 points a game at this point in the season. But, I mean, he's been getting better. Every game with the Celtics, he's getting more and more comfortable. He's looking like now he's adjusting. And the entire team also is adjusting to 
not having Gordon Hayward, which was going to be a secondary adjustment period because you had a team that was basically completely new, except for a couple of players. That was an all-new team that had to learn how to play with each other throughout the offseason, then suddenly lose a player who was going to be on the court 35 minutes every game to then lose that guy. Then that's just basically have to start your offseason. Not start your offseason again, but you basically have to learn how to play together. You have to learn how to be a whole new team a second time. So, yeah. Obviously, it's going to be a comfort period. And Kyrie now learning, once again, now he has to learn to deal with a lot of the defensive pressure. Even, you know, if guys like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford even have been proving themselves to be better scoring options and maybe a lot of us thought they would be coming into the season. But, yeah, to see them, they have to readjust to not playing with Gordon Hayward. And to see them playing the way they have, especially against the Hawks, the way Kyrie's been playing the last couple of nights, against the Thunder when Kyrie and Al Horford took that game over and were just hitting crucial, crazy shot after crazy shot. Kyrie is really impressing me. And offensively, yeah, he's playing so much better than I thought he was. Once again, any any take I had after the trade about how him and Isaiah were closer than I thought, I was so wrong. I was so stupidly dead wrong in saying any of that. So, yeah, once again, I'm admitting it. I was wrong about that. I know it's only 10 games in. I try not to let too much in the early NBA blow me away or change anything. And they're going to beat the Knicks a boss, but change anything. But, yeah, I, just the eye test. Kyrie's better. And the other thing about Kyrie that has impressed me up to this point, impressed most people, is that not that he's playing great. Not that he's playing good, but he's playing defense. <laughs> Kyrie is is certainly trying on defense, which is huge. Because the idea that Kyrie and Isaiah were similar defenders was true. Every advanced metric had those two as, you know, the two of the worst defenders in the league by all the advanced metrics. Some of them, even Isaiah was better than him in. So I was like, no. So, but the thing about Kyrie was he's, you know, half a foot taller. So there's that idea that he could play defense. That may be great, but defense in basketball, unless you're five, nine, if you were like an NBA sized person, defense is a matter of effort. Conceivably, if you have the athleticism to be in the NBA and you have the size, you can play at least passable defense if you're just willing to put in the effort. Not to say that being a great defender is all effort. There's plenty of talent involved in that, plenty of skill. But if you are just a not a me-sized NBA player, you can play defense if you put the effort in. And that falls on the player. That falls on the coach to motivate them. And obviously, Brad Stevens has motivated Kyrie to do that. Obviously, Kyrie has taken it upon himself, because in the end, it still comes down to the player. Kyrie has taken it upon himself to play that defense. So that's good to see. Just not even just because he's playing better defense, but just see that mentally, that Kyrie is willing to adjust his game, is willing to do things he hasn't really done before to be in Boston, shows that maybe he does actually, there is actually something to him appreciating wanting to be in Boston and wanting to be somewhere different. So just... Yeah, a lot of that's good to see. There's also like a like a weird in the comments of the live stream. If you're listening to some podcasts, there's a nice little uh little Knicks takeover 
Knicks fan takeover going on. Here we have we have my good friend Abbas saying they ain't gonna beat the Knicks. My good friend Michael McHugh coming in saying Knicks tape. Not really sure what that means. Maybe it means Knickscape. And then Abbas chiming back in with the Knicks are gonna be your competition. So no, no, I dismissed that all outright. The unicorn is playing very nicely though. Do love him. Anyway. Carmelo was a cancer, it turns out. But anyway, the fact that Kyrie is just trying to play defense, just beyond what it adds them, you know, on the court, what it adds, just the way that they have a guy playing, they have a point guard who can at least play, you know, slightly below average to maybe even average NBA defense is obviously an upgrade from Isaiah in that regard. But just the fact that more when it says that Kyrie is willing to adjust his game, which also I've been very pleased to see from the way he's been playing. Obviously, I've said this a couple of times on this show now that the fact that Kyrie has not been taking a crazy amount of shots has been promising to me just because it shows that, you know, he's not willing to, he's not just here to put up as many shots as he wants and chuck up stupid shots. The fact that he has been doing that and that he's been will- very willing to pass to guys who've been willing to pass to young players like Tatum or Brown has been promising. And... Yeah, I think that's also just reflecting the fact that he's playing defense. So overall, I've obviously, I've been very impressed with Kyrie Irving up to this point. It's just the one point about that. And yeah, I'm just very glad to see what he's been doing. Now, I want to also say I want to see how Kyrie is doing when maybe things aren't going so well. How Kyrie reacts when they're losing. When, like, for a sustained period of time, not even just in one game, like, if they suffer, you know, a couple of bad losses in a row, if they lose, you know, two of three, three of four or something, how Kyrie is going to react to that? I'd like, because, you know, he still made some kind of weird comments here and there, a little weird kind of diva comments, you know, like saying, you know, all that stuff about the first time they played the Bucks at in Milwaukee, that all that weird stuff about the floor and the architecture of it. And he said some weird little things and not to say that Kyrie will shut down or will start doing weird stuff if they start losing. But you know, like I said, with 11 games now in the NBA season. So I just, I'd like, and they've won nine and they've won nine in a row. So I just, I don't know how Kyrie in Boston will react when things start going badly. So I just, I just want to see it is all. It's just it. I just want to see it. Just so I can, you know, so I can fully buy into Kyrie. It's just the one thing. So hopefully, I mean, not hopefully, hopefully we won't get that chance. Hopefully the Celtics go 79 and two and then sweep to the finals. But obviously we're going, there's going to be stretches where they're not winning. There's going to be stretches where they're not doing, you know, where they're not winning nine, rattling off nine games in a row. So just, I want to... I'm curious as to how Kyrie's going to react when that moment comes. Now, the other players? Also, really, as much as I hate to come here and gush about the Celtics, because I like to come here and be negative about the Celtics and shut down Celtics fans' hopes and dreams and bring them back to reality, but overall, I've I've been impressed with the team also. I I mean, I don't think it's not much I can say. I haven't talked about the Celtics a lot lately, but yeah, I mean, Tatum has been blowing me away. Tatum is as NBA ready as guys hyped him up to possibly be, 
which is good to see. He was always going to be, you know, the most NBA ready of, you know, the top prospects in this draft. That was always the MO with him. But just to see it, see him dropping nearly 20 points a game, that's awesome. That's excellent. I obviously could not ask for more from a guy who's been playing for 11 games now in the NBA. So really glad to be seeing that from him. And then the player who's impressed me the most this season, besides Kyrie, for the Celtics has been Al Horford, who now that he is playing with Kyrie, who's a guy who mentally understands the game, at the same level as Horford, who's you know supposedly a great mental guy, has a great understanding of the game of basketball. The fact now that he's playing with somebody like Kyrie, who's just as cerebral as him, I think it's possibly that it actually has unlocked Al Horford, per se. And that it's now it's allowing Al Horford to thrive more than maybe he was with Isaiah Thomas, who isn't quite as cerebral a, play, cerebral a player of Kyrie's. And, you know, there are... It's not it's not fully there yet. They obviously haven't fully formed that connection, but there are plays, there are a couple of plays every game that are just beautiful between the two of them. Just certain plays off the pick and roll. Just so many pretty pretty things between the two of them, like Spurs-esque things between those two players and between this whole team and things that they do that, you know, come together between the whole team. So To see that is also very promising to see Kyrie and helping to unlock Al Horford, who's a max guy, who the team has paid a max contract, who hasn't played up to the level of a max guy, who's probably never going to play up to the level of a max guy. But still, to see Al Horford playing as well as he is and hitting the amount of threes that he has, which I don't think is sustainable, but whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll take it while I can get it, is great. And that's another big thing for this team. Now, something coming out today that is not as great is that Al Horford is going to miss tonight's game against the Lakers. He's entering the concussion protocol. So for something, for some kind of hit that he sustained against the when he played the Hawks, I don't really know what it is, but he's in a concussion protocol for something or another. Somebody got a bow on him. I don't really know what, but so Al Horford is going to be out for a little while. Who knows how long? It could be a week. It could be a couple of games. I don't know. But if he has a concussion and they're going to be without Al Horford for a while, obviously going to lose him on the court. But this is also something that could be sneaky difficult for this team to handle. Because, obviously, something I've talked about a lot before in the past, that this team has kind of a lack of bigs on the roster. So, it would be it'll be interesting to see how they're able to navigate going without Horford, who's, you know, one of their two or three, you know, good bigs. So, I mean, for the starting lineup, I don't necessarily see it being a problem because they can slide Smart at the two, slide Tatum and Brown down three and four, and then, you know, there, they're all right. And there, they've, they're able to manage, but then it'll be a matter of are you going to be seeing Thesis play big minutes? Are they going to be playing small the whole time without Horford? Who's, are they going to, are we going to see, you know, Yabu Selly actually play some minutes? 
more minutes for Ojale, or or is the team just gonna go small the whole time? Just that it'll be kind of interesting if he's out for a couple of games, if he actually does miss a decent amount of time, and by decent amount of time, it'll be like three, four games. It'll be interesting to see what Brad Stevens' contingency plan is for any potential loss of Al Horford, who is an older player, who's somebody who could miss time this season. He didn't really miss much time last year. He hasn't typically missed much time at all in his playing career, but he's still an older guy. He's the oldest guy on this team, obviously. He's a big man. You know, you know, being a big man can always wear down on their knees, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll just it'll be interesting to see if they're able to or how they go about navigating potentially not having Al Horford, who I believe is definitely ruled out for tonight. And once again, they'll see. So how they handle not having Al Horford, it'll just be interesting to watch. See if some of these guys step up. They still have an empty roster spot. I still think that they should put that roster spot towards signing a big man of some sorts. Maybe somebody to sit at the end of the bench. Maybe somebody to, I don't know if, I mean, Okafer might get bought out soon, but that that's neither here nor there. That's a whole other crazy topic that I don't really want to talk about right now. But yeah, if they're without Horford for a little bit, it's sad to see because I think that what he's been adding to this team this year has really made this team fun to watch. But <laughs> it'll just, there's some intrigue to how they navigate playing without Al Horford. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting test for this team now. It'll, because, you know, going against you know, the Lakers, I'm not afraid of the Lakers. But some of these other teams, seeing how they navigate that, it'll just, I'm intrigued. And I think that it'll be important for this team to see how they're able to play Sands Al Horford. Sands a lot of big man depth. So, you know, that's just it. That's all there is to that. I mean, that's, that's the only thought to that, really. I mean, obviously, it's not going to affect them long term. Because once again, first 10 games of the NBA season, everything we're saying now is wrong Everything we're saying now will turn out not to be true. Every team that's good now won't be good by the end of the year. Not to be that extreme, but you get my point. Like late early season NBA basketball means so little. Which on that point is why I want to now move on to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have one two straight now, beating the Wizards and the Bucks and High-scoring games. We're still beating the Wizards and the Bucks, But up until then, we're looking very mortal. You know, some people were coming out and saying, like, ooh, this is a downfall of the Cavs. They're losing to bad teams. Which they were use- losing to bad teams, like the Nets, like the Pelicans, like the Knicks, and the Pacers, and all these awful, awful teams. And yeah, there's obviously logic to that. The Cavs were losing. People are like, oh, is this the end? Like, oh, is the Celtics going to become the dominant team in the East? And I, to those points, I have to pump the brakes on those. Because, A, this is a team that, and by the way, the Cavs have looked terrible in these losses. They've looked old. They've looked slow. They haven't shown the ability to play defense. They still haven't really shown the ability to play defense, even in their wins. As of late. But. 
they're giving up 110, 115 plus points a game, I believe is the average. I don't have the average in front of me, but at least in the games I'm looking at, they've given up at least 115, if not more, every game. But I'm not willing to say that the Cavs suddenly suck. I wasn't willing to say that before they were winning. Because at least in my eyes right now, this is a team that A, for the last couple of years, has really shown that they don't care about the regular season. They don't care about the first seed. Obviously, they didn't because last season they shut it down instead of, you know, going for it and trying to get the first seed and just kind of conceded that to the Celtics and then proceeded to nearly sweep the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals, but even though they were the first seed. But, yeah, the Cavs have been a team that does not show the need to care in the regular season. LeBron, very clearly, was not interested until he became interested, starting balling out, and now, you know, they've won two of their last three. He dropped 57 against the Wizards because Bradley Beal was talking shit, so he decided that he had to go off against him. So, you know, LeBron obviously is not has not been invested for a lot of the regular season so far. Kevin Love, up until really last night, where he, or la, was it last night? Yes, last night against the Bucks, where he just went off and had 36 points, 16 rebounds. In all their losses, Kevin Love has not been playing well, and I'm not, but I'm not willing to suddenly say that Kevin Love sucks. So he's gonna start performing well, better. They've been playing without Tristan Thompson. They've been playing, you know, without Isaiah who's eventually going to come back. And even if Isaiah isn't at full strength and, you know, obviously isn't dropping 30 a game, which he probably won't, but he'll still give them something, not something defensively, but defensively he'll be as good as last year Kyrie. Not as good as this year Kyrie when he's trying, but better. He won't really give them much of a drop-off defensively there. So just, I don't know. If we get to the all-star break and the Cavs are 500, I'm still not willing to say that they're not one of the top teams in the East just because I still feel like LeBron and can turn it on at any point he wants, rattle off a bunch of wins, make these other guys around him better, even if they are, you know, kind of a bunch of old guys at this point with Derrick Rose looking like he's nothing. Dwayne Wade, even though he dropped 25 a few days ago against the Hawks. Obviously, he's a shell. J.R. Smith isn't really trying, it looks like, but I don't feel like he's dropped off because of age or regression. I don't feel like that's the point with him. Thompson will eventually come back. That gives him something. It's just I'm not willing to write off the Cavs yet as a lot of people around me, a lot of people in the media are just really, really eager to do. So... Yeah, like I said, I need to see it. I need, like I said, now if they play like this a lot and they've, you know, I guess if it's extreme and they've won 10 games by the All-Star break, then maybe, but I just, I can't. Or maybe if LeBron looks disinterested, like really disinterested, maybe I can buy into the theory that, oh, LeBron's just biding his time until he goes to LA. It's different. LeBron doesn't really care that much. He's just, He's phoning it in this year. Maybe then I can believe that if it really looks that way, but I have a hard time believing that while LeBron's here, he won't put it all in, at least come playoff time. So I just, mm, I, yeah, I have a, I, I can't buy into this yet. I feel like 
I also can't fully buy into the idea of the Celtics being suddenly the top team in the East, even though they're obviously in first right now. I feel like other teams will get it together eventually. It's early season NBA and just a lot of these things. Almost everything that I look at and go, that's good or that's bad, just comes with this asterisk of, it's early season NBA, so let's all calm down. It's kind of just the overarching point to this whole opening basketball segment and really will be the point to really any basketball segment or any basketball takes or talk I do for a while. And it should be the thing for anybody right now because, once again, we're 10-11 games in the NBA season. Nothing matters yet. The Orlando Magic aren't going to be one of the best teams in the East. The Detroit Pistons aren't going to lead the East at any point when meaningful basketball is happening. And just, you know, everything is meaningless right now in the NBA. Just be a giant nihilist with NBA takes at this point right now. Anyway, though, I am going to take a quick break here. Then after we come back from the break, we will be joined by Job Gudrid. Of Real Sports 101.com. We're going to be talking some Patriots, talk some Red Sox, maybe some other stuff. Anyway, though, you're listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. Or if you're watching on a live stream, stay tuned, drop some comments, tell me stuff you want me to talk about. Anyway, though, we'll be right back after these messages. WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmsley here. We've been talking a lot of Celtics at this point. A lot of... It's really... It's all been Celtics up to that point. Sorry about that. Couldn't get the police to stop for a second. Anyway, we've been talking a lot of Celtics up to this point. If you've been listening, uh, if you've been watching on the official Stadium Experience live stream, don't be afraid to drop a comment. Tell me something you want me to talk about. Give me your own opinion on something that I'm talking about here. If you like the show, don't be afraid to check out the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud, where I upload every episode after the episode, after the fact. Anyway, though, it's 4.38 right now, and as we are every week, it's time to do your Job, and we're joined by Job Gudrid of RealSports101.com. And how you doing, Job? Oh, I'm doing good, Jake. How are you? Good, good, good. This is Job's first time appearing on the live stream. You can't see him because he's over the phone, as he is every week, but on the 90.7... Guest hotline. I don't have a name for it yet, but anyway, this is this is Job Gudrid. This is Job's first time popping up on the Mike Kane Memorial live stream. And I mean, Job, how you been? You weren't able to join, come with us last week. We weren't really able to discuss the Patriots game last week. Which, by the way, I don't know about you, but I don't even want to talk about it. That game was crap, and the Garoppolo stuff was way more interesting to talk about. But how you been? I've been good. You know, the only the only thing that I I even you know remotely wanted to talk about from that was our, our predictions. Uh, which I wrote down for the first time all season. That's the only thing I really had to take away from that. Were they right? Um, what were our predictions? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I will pull them up right now. I mean, if I'm, um, if, I'm, if I'm right, let me know. I think you were right, actually. Um, surprisingly, no. No. I think, you had, I think you had it 100% on point. No way. Okay, what, were, what uh, was it? Pull it up. Pull so, it up. Uh, our predictions were... And I don't even know what the Patriots' score was, let alone this is a while ago. Um, but you had them at 21-14. Oh, I was off by one point on each side. 
You had him at 21-14. I had him at 28-21. Oh, it was 21-13. So that's the you closest. Had it, you had it off by one. That's point the closest spot on. I'm glad you brought that up then. I'm glad you brought that up then, because that's the first time that we have even been close all season. So that's amazing. All right. Thank you for bringing that up, Job. Good boy. Good guy. Good, good thing to kick off you being on the Mike Gain Memorial live stream. Anyway, so I was right. I was right about the score in that stupid, stupid, boring game where the Chargers just routinely looked like idiots and then the Patriots couldn't do anything and Travis Benjamin has the IQ of a radish and yeah all right cool now we never need to talk about that game again because it was stupid and I didn't enjoy it so we're gonna completely rip the band-aid off on that anyway the first thing I want to talk about before we talk about the Patriots upcoming game against the Broncos is that hi Cody against the Patriots upcoming game against the Broncos is that the reports coming out, you don't really have much of a chance to weigh in on the Garoppolo trade, which, by the way, was the entire episode last week. But now it's coming out that there's a chance that for the 49ers that Garoppolo does not play all season. And that's interesting in a lot of ways because, you know, obviously, A, they go, oh, it's, inter- it's interesting because they traded a second round pick for the guy to potentially be their franchise QB and he might not play. And if he doesn't, that really opens up some weird contract per- per- bleh, permutations for the 49ers. Because, and I don't know if this is a little wild, but say he doesn't play. And they see him in practice, obviously. But, you know, as we know, supposedly Garoppolo isn't good in practice. And that's, you know, so you should forgive him for any practice-related issues he seems to have. So, yeah, Garoppolo supposedly is not good in practice. So if he's not going to practice, I don't see that there. And they're just going off, you know, the tape from him with the Patriots, the good word of Shanahan, the good word of Lynch. Negotiating a long-term deal will be really weird with them. Unless they're just willing to throw a truckload of money at him and they just 100% believe in him. But, I mean, I doubt that. I doubt that. So then there's the option of they could use the franchise tag on him, which for the 49ers, unlike the Patriots, makes way more sense because they have just a ocean full of cap space. The entire San Francisco Bay is their cap space. It's just filled with not water. It's filled with 49ers cap space. And they could have the option to just do that. I they think w- that's what they're going to do, actually. They once um, ag- But hang on. Hold, bear with me. Bear with me here for a second because I'm getting into my weird theories. And then an- another thing that kind of popped into my head is that if they don't play him, which, by the way, I'm not saying is the worst idea because, you know, obviously they're not winning. They're not. He gives them a better chance to win. Realistically, without him, they can tank better. And B, they don't have to let him just get beat the hell up like C.J. Beathard is getting right now. Which, by the way, they talked to Garoppolo after the game and he was praising C.J. Beathard for taking as many hits as he did. He's like, hey, he keeps getting up. He's a tough guy. And Garoppolo is just looking at that, maybe thinking that he doesn't want any part of that. But if he doesn't play and then they go into the off season and he's still ba- basically an unknown for them. I don't think that them trading for Garoppolo 100% percent rules out Kirk Cousins going to the 49ers because if all is done and all things are equal and Kirk Cousins just calls them and says, Hey, I want to come 
play with you, Coach Shanahan. You guys just need to give us a lo- you guys just need to give me a long-term deal. And then they look at that, and now it's a matter of do you want Garoppolo or do you want Kirk Cousins? Which I would think is, once again, all things being equal, Kirk Cousins on a long-term deal or Jimmy Garoppolo on a long-term deal, I feel like that's a pretty easy choice to make. The only difference being, you know, well, you gave up a second-round pick to get Garoppolo, but once again, if you just end up with a guy who you think is a franchise QB anyway, all things are equal, right? And I just don't, that's just a theory that popped into my head, and I don't think it's, I just don't think that, like, a lot of people are making it out to be that now this completely takes San Francisco off the table for Cousins. I don't think that's true necessarily i i think that's an interesting point to be made but i don't think cousins is going anywhere i mean um the fans here um you know they can be fickle on their quarterbacks they really didn't like rg3 um and he's obviously not not around anymore kirk cousins is taking over but he led he led the, the redskins to a good performance this season um they obviously won't win their division um but I would be I wouldn't be surprised to see him back here. Um, well, not back here. Back in, back in the back with well, the Redskins. Back with the Redskins. When I say back here, I mean I'm in Washington D.C. So when I say back here, I do mean. In, oh yeah, right. Um, Job is calling uniform. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that for sure just because the Redskins have just been jerking him around conti- con- constantly the last couple of years. They've just been passive aggressive. The ownership there is awful. The management there is terrible. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves, not even just San Francisco. Like, I'm not ruling out him going somewhere else. And San Francisco is still kind of, you know, that makes sense destination for him. So I'm just saying that it's possible that Garoppolo isn't in San Francisco next year. Now, that doesn't mean that that means that I'm not trying to imply that, oh, well, that means that he can go there and then come back to New England next year. That's not the point. That's not that. That's never happening because. Garoppolo leaves San Francisco, that means he's going to Cleveland or Jacksonville or somewhere like that, and they just throw him a truck of money, and now he takes their truck of money, and he's their starting QB. But I'm just saying that it's possible that Garoppolo doesn't stay in San Francisco. If well, what, the, do you, what do you think of, what do you think of a, uh, a, a Kirk Cousins to a, to a Minnesota Vikings team? Kind of performance, uh, kind of trade. I wouldn't be surprised I to mean, see him go there. God, I mean, um, I really, I don't really want to sit here and start getting into Kirk Cousins theories. As much as I love the guy, and I've always loved the guy, but I mean, I mean, maybe I, I don't really know, think they have the cap space to throw like a twenty million dollar a year deal at a guy. They have Bridgewater anyway. They have. Uh, they, they, Minnesota has such a weird QB situation right now, and once again, I could dedicate a whole segment to that, so I don't want to get too into that. But I mean, I, I don't think that one's possible. But anyway, anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in this. I just wanted to, you know, lay that out now. Going on to this now, the Patriots, obviously, this weekend, they play the Broncos in Sunday Night Football, and a lot of Knicks fans in the live stream comments today. (laughs) I'm getting more Knicks stuff. Anyway, kind of looking at this, they're going to mile high, and I wonder if you think this, Joe, because I'm not saying I do or I don't. I'll give my takes on this in a second, but is this potentially a trap game? For the Patriots, going into Denver, a place that they've struggled, going against a team that has a pass rush, which always gives the Patriots a little bit of trouble. I mean, is this is this a trap game for the Patriots? Uh, I actually don't think so. I think so. I think this is the opposite. I think this is a real chance for our defense to showcase 
that they've really turned that corner. I know the last two weeks we've been skeptical about it, the last two games, rather. Um, we've been skeptical about it despite their progress. Um, but if there's, if there's a game where our defense can really step up, um, it's going to be this one, and that's because, one, Brock Osweiler is a terrible quarterback. Uh, yes. Um, and, the Bron- and the Broncos should not be able to do anything offensively. Uh, but the other is, you know, Brady historically does not perform well at mile high. Um, and a good defensive showing from from our defense, especially with Stephon Gilmore back in the lineup mm-hmm. this week, presumably, presumably as he's healthy this week, um, would go a long way towards convincing me that we have a we have a much better shot going forward. Uh, because the one thing I really don't want to see mm-hmm. uh, is Brady hitting the dirt um, at all. I really don't want to see Brady get hit. Uh, and I know he will because the the weapons that yeah. uh, you know Denver has on defense mm-hmm. are unbelievable. Um, they have been for a few years, mm-hmm. but I would really like to see our defense come up big and and perform more so than our offense. I don't think it's a trap game because I don't think that Brock Osweiler can lead this Broncos team, uh, you know, down the field enough to really do, do uh, anything, score any points, um, or do anything that's really going to hurt us. And I think our defense has stepped up enough to where I'm not worried to go into mile high. I know that we're predicted to win this game. We're favorites by the biggest margin we've had in, in 10 years going into mile high. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what it is, I don't think that Brock Osweiler is a good enough option at quarterback to lead this Broncos offense yeah. or our defense. Um, mm-hmm. Even if, you know, Brady historically does not perform against, against you know, Denver in Denver. Yeah, no, I and I'd be surprised to see a, a low-scoring game where we, where we come out with a win. Yeah, no, I actually completely agree with you. All week I've been trying to dig and figure out, like, is this a trap game? Because that's a fun thing to talk about, but you're right. I just And, and now that we're saying this, they're going to lose, obviously. It's going to end up having been a trap game because that's what makes it a trap game is that you don't think it's going to be a trap. But... I've been trying to dig and fi- figure out, like, oh, maybe it'll be this because of this. Like, maybe if Nate Solder and Marcus Cannon still weren't out, and Cannon didn't practice today, but he's presumably fine. Like, maybe if they were out and Brady was going to be getting blasted, maybe if, you know, if Simeon was in and he was actually playing well, because I've completely left the church of Simeon. I am no longer an advocate for him. I think he sucks now. And obviously, Osweiler sucks also, but yeah, I tried to figure, and I, I can't, I just, I can't see, I mean, I can see it, but I just don't see the Patriots losing this game. Now, I think they might, they're definitely going to have some trouble offensively because A, you know, the Denver defense, the Denver corners, not having Chris Hogan, having to deal with that, going in with Philip Dorsett as your number three receiver, which, you know, has not worked to this point this season, anything with him. So they're definitely going to have some trouble. They're definitely going to have some issues in this game, but I just, and also I think that it's kind of falling apart there in Denver, just from like a team cohesion standpoint. Obviously last week, that great defense gave up, you know, 51 points to the Eagles. I'm not saying that that defense sucks. It's still one of the top defenses in the league and it's been for the last couple of years, but I think that there's this point that they're starting to fall apart from a team. They're all pointing fingers at each other at this point. I think Chris Harris did an interview today in Denver where he just talked about how they need to he just kind of kept subtly saying we need to score some points we need to score some points we need to score some points as always you know he's saying to the offense you you guys suck and we don't suck which is true 
if you're Chris Harris, I can understand why you would not, why you would be mad at the offense when the, that defense is doing everything it can. And, you know, eventually they're going to reach a breaking point where they, you know, they give up 51 points to the Eagles when they're on the field for 40, 45 minutes of the game, it feels like. So I feel like they're falling apart there. They don't have the well, lead. Let me, read, let me read you some stats. Uh, stats no, hang on. on. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't quite need the stats yet, though, Job. Let me just finish okay, on this. All right, go yeah, ahead. Because I'm saying that I don't think the defense is falling apart. I think that it's just by nature of having to play so much, it's starting to implode. I think that the whole team cohesion there is imploding. And also, they're still talking about TJ Ward in the same interview, which I heard this morning. They're still mad that TJ Ward got cut, which I don't think you would ever see in week nine from a Belichick team them talking about a player being gone. And yeah. Not to mention that their offense just sucks. It just sucks anyway, but the fact that now, you know, the defense is mad at the offense, I just can't imagine that things are uh, working too good there, that people are getting along too well and that that's going to impact their performance. Or this is the point where they turn it around and rally against the Patriots and have some big win, but I, I don't think they have the leadership to do that because I think also losing Wade Phillips was huge for them. I think Vance Joseph... It's kind of proving that he sucks as a head coach. I thought that was a weird hire when they made it. Hiring a guy who had only been a defensive coordinator for one year on the Dolphins, on a team that didn't have a good defense. So I really never understood why he was a head coaching candidate to begin with. And I think that also they're suffering from the loss of Kubiak, who I think now looking back, because like I said, I was a big member of the Church of Simeon for a little while. I really believe that he could be, you know, a serviceable starting QB. He had some good games last year, but I am start like now it's starting to look like that was all Kubiak, who's gone now, obviously. But Kubiak, for most of his career, has, you know, made not so good QBs work out. He worked with Schaub for years and years. Now, mind you, I like Schaub, but still, he made Schaub work when he was in Baltimore, Joe Flacco. Played phenomenally, and that offense has been broken ever since he left. He came to Denver. He made Brock Osweiler look good. He made Peyton Manning, you know, the, the ghost of Peyton Manning even. That was working out. He was able to manage that well. He was able to make Simeon play well last year. So I think that not having Wade Phillips is hurting them. Not having Gary Kubiak, who seemingly can you know, make bad QBs into something worth using, is hurting them. And I just... I. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out why this could be a quote-unquote trap game, and I just can't. Well, uh, I have I have some some interesting points on this. You know, first is you know Denver's first in overall defense, um, allowing 280 yards um, per game. The opposing team, fifth in rushing defense, fourth in passing. Uh, they're tied. They're tied by allowing 24 points eight points per game. These are kind of abstract concepts, but yeah, no, the I'm defense is still playing well. Picks, I'm, I'm looking at some of the picks that some of these experts are making. Um, and according to some experts on, uh, on CBS, they think Osweiler has enough to beat, to beat Brady this week. And they all, they lay it all at the, the door of DeMarcus Ware, um, which I can see. I mean, He's a real explosive weapon, and Brady doesn't really have an offensive line that can really protect him. Wait, what are you talking about? Um, about Demarcus Ware? I mean Von Miller. Von Miller, I'm sorry, yeah, okay. I'm reading the wrong name here. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if 
if we really have a lot of trouble this week. Yeah. Uh, from that standpoint, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of dumps in the flat to the likes of James White. Sure, yeah. Dion Lewis. Yeah, have them adjusting without um, Chris Hogan. Yep. Yeah. Like, as as again, we seem we to talk about every week, they need to feature the running backs without more. any piece. Yeah. Running backs is something that we, we've seen a few times in the last two weeks. Mostly it's been adjusting to the absence of, you know, player X. Mm-hmm. We haven't really played with a full roster this season mm-hmm. at any point. Um, I I do think we're going to see a lot of passes into the flat. And Brady dumping the ball off early. I don't think he'll really challenge them downfield. Uh, oh, I mean, hold, I mean, he won't have time in the pocket. You see, I find um, that that's kind of hard to say that he won't be challenging them downfield though, because I feel like in a way, he's going to have to. Like there's just with the personnel they have, he's going to have to do that a lot because. You don't have Chris Hogan, who he's an outside guy, but he plays in the slot a decent amount. I mean, he's going in with two of his three receivers are Philip Dorsett, who all he can do is run post routes down the field. And then Brandon Cooks, who we thought would maybe be able to play more. No, going into the year, we thought, oh, Brandon Cooks will be able to play in the slot a little bit. He'll be able to play the Y a little bit. But seemingly we're kind of seeing that maybe we've talked about this a little bit, that maybe Brandon Cooks really is a little more one dimensional than we thought. And he's more of just a downfield weapon. And then, you know, his third receiver is Amendola, who obviously is a slot guy. But it's just it feels like their wide receiver core right now is slanted more towards being downfield threats which maybe isn't ideal when you're going against a team that has, you know, probably one of the top cornerback groups, if not the top cornerback group in the league right now. So it's either, you know, he's, so yeah, so it's either he has to test him downfield or he's going to have to rely on Gronk a lot in this game and rely on the running backs to run some of these shorter routes. Yeah, you know, I, I could see that happening um, quite a bit in this game. But like I said, I think a lot of it's going to be dumping passes out, um, you know, in the flat to our running backs. And I think we're, we're, the only reason that I think we're going to really win this game is, is I think our defense has been stepping it up. I don't think by any means that they're a top defense in the league or even even maybe top 50%, but they're passable defensively. And against a quarterback like Brock Osweiler, he can make he hasn't you look really good. shown anything mm-hmm. since that, you know, that brief stint in 2015. I mean, he did beat us in an overtime game in 2015. Yeah, but like I said, that uh, was when he Denver, was playing with then, Gary Kubiak, who now I'm convinced is actually just a miracle worker with QBs. Because seemingly yeah, every QB... Since then, I've seen nothing. Um, I've seen nothing from him, and I, I really don't think that they have the weapons that they could really march downfield and score. Um, I think this game will be... A hard one to watch. I think it'll be even harder to watch than than the last game uh, against the Chargers because mm-hmm. I feel like it'll be a lot of bad plays on both ends offensively, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that there'll be many flashy moments. And I'm, I'm worried about Brady getting hit a lot. Yeah, I, I know you're right. That... that we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of play calls downfield by McDaniel's mm-hmm. try to exploit, you know, the uh, the uh, receiving core that we have right now and their ability to go downfield. Which, like you mentioned, that's what these these receivers who are healthier are really, there are outside guys. Yeah. Um, and our inside guys are all banged up. I wouldn't be surprised if McDaniels tries to take advantage of that with some deep corner post routes, uh, or maybe some comeback routes. Yeah, um, which is going to be tough because they're playing against... get to the quarterback. Yeah, which is um, why... Very well, and we might not have a pocket that Brady can really use to throw the ball downfield. You know, I could see a lot of... Mm-hmm. You know, Brady going to his second guy or to his option route just because he's going to get hit. And that worries me because if there's one team that always gets to our quarterback, it's, it's the Broncos. Denver's defense. And that, no, you're right. That'll be the biggest thing is just if Brady can get out of this game safely. But Which is why I'm glad that this is a game that they have coming off of the bye. Just because it has, oh, given, it has given the tackles 
the chance to get healthy because we talked about this when you were on here in the summer, actually, that, you know, the chance of Marcus Cannon or Nate Solder going down for an extended period of time could be very bad for this team. So, yes, the fact they're able to get both those guys is big because if they can just get out of this game and Brady knock it hurt a lot, I'm not worried about them putting up a ton of points because, once again, I just don't think that Osweiler is going to be able to lead them to anything. And, you know, also to be fair to this defense, we talked about a couple weeks ago that, hey, if they could get out of the month of October now with another good defensive performance against L.A., then, you know, maybe we'll start buying into this defense, you know, maybe not being legit, but being a pretty decent defense. And, you know, in their defense, in the month of October, they gave up 14 points to the Buccaneers, 17 to the Jets, 7 to the Falcons, and... 13 to the Chargers. So, you know, they've given they haven't given up more than 17 points all the last month. So just in fairness, I'll say that their defense has improved quite a bit. Or at least they're uh, playing no, better. Agree. They which now we need to, which by the way, they haven't gone against a lot of legit teams. So we'll see how they play now that they lose Hightower, how they adapt to that. The fact that they didn't add anything at the deadline which I talked about last week, which I don't know if you want to chime in on that at all, but the fact that they didn't add anything at the deadline last week concerns me. I felt like I felt like a move was coming after they traded Garoppolo. I assumed that, like, okay, now they're going to trade that pick for something, and that didn't happen, so... Yeah, I don't... I mean, how do you feel about the fact that they didn't add anything at the deadline? Well, uh, they, did add, they did add somebody uh, defensively this week, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we can talk about that. Um, we can talk about Ricky. We can talk about Ricky Jean Francisco in a minute, but that's um, but I, I I agree. I was I was a little bit surprised to not see anybody come in here. I thought maybe we would see a cornerback come in here, um, and if not a cornerback, I thought it would be um, maybe an offensive line piece, just because mm-hmm. it seems like these Some guys depth. can't seem to stay healthy and on the field. Wide receiver um, depth, somebody in that front I didn't seven. Think, I didn't think that there were any there were any real. Uh, front seven pieces available. Um, I didn't see any wide receivers really available that I thought we should go out and get. So I'm not I'm not too surprised that we didn't go out and get anybody offensively, uh, except that maybe somebody to protect Brady would have been would have been essential. And I, I think it's a it's an opportunity that we really missed out on. A lot of these teams, um, I look specifically at teams who are in the AFC, um, who don't really seem to be in it anymore, uh, who have decent front sevens. Um, like the Texans, who have you know maybe one or two pieces they could move, um, you know teams like that who maybe not maybe they don't want to deal with the Patriots, but I, I'm surprised that we yeah. didn't make a move for another piece. On I that mean, not even line. not even saying it had to be a big flashy move. Just the fact that Belichick didn't go and sign some linebacker who you've never heard of. It's just it just it just surprised me because they just they need bodies on the front seven. Which by the way, like I said, you know they added. Ricky Jean Francisco Francisco yesterday and he is an absolute nobody and he will add nothing but and I kind of want to talk about that for a minute too because that concerns me that move does not make me feel better that move makes me feel worse because it makes me wonder now if Malcolm Brown's injury if maybe that's a little more severe than we're talking about which if that's the case, and I kind of think that is the case, if Belichick is adding another guy there, and he had a quote on this after doing it, and that quote was, where is my quote on that? Ah, brief in the, excuse me, Belichick basically said that we're trying to, we'd want to, we try to add a little depth to the defensive line, which 
if they're trying to add depth to the D-line, that conceivably means that they're missing somebody. Like I said, Malcolm Brown has mispracticed a couple of days this week with an ankle issue. And if he's actually just missing time or, God forbid, is out for the year, which I'm not saying it is, but that could be the case, that's not good either because, you know, I'm not I'm not a big Malcolm Brown guy. I think he's definitely been a disappointment as a first-round pick. But still, he's been playing better as of late. I feel like he's been getting more pressure from the inside, and they're certainly not going to get that from Ricky Jean Francisco. So Malcolm Brown's missing significant time. I would imagine that means that you know we're going back to the Allen Branch experiment, which I I don't know how good I feel about that. So I mean I don't know. I mean is that are you reading into it like that at all, Job? Or am I just overthinking well, I, this? I would be reading into it like that, but actually I, I'm not, and I'll, I'll give you my reasoning. I read into it as. Belichick saw the opportunity to bring in another guy, and he knows how much injuries have played just this season. Um, and, you know, the Patriots' defense has allowed 5.1 yards per rush attempt uh, through the first nine weeks of the season. Um, you know, Jean Francisco might not be a real weapon. Good. Uh, but he's a big guy. Um, and I think, you know, adding some size there, as a as another just another piece in case one of these guys does go down like you mentioned uh we can avoid going back to the allen branch experiment well uh, i mean i imagine that it's not it's so. the, i'm i am imagining that ricky jean francisco is not going to suddenly be before allen branch's rotation but you know you bring that up i didn't realize how good how how big he was i will give you that he is 313 pounds so he is a a little bigger. He's not bigger than Alan Branch. He's still like 35 pounds lighter. But I, I didn't realize he was a 300-pounder. But still, I don't I don't know. I just feel like for them to make this move, there's something else. There's a corresponding move. Because this is a guy who has not done anything. He you played, know, I'm sure that there is another I'm sure there is another move and there is something corresponding. But, you know, knowing the Belichick system and knowing how this works uh, from a New England perspective, I know that we won't find out what that is until probably the season ends. Or we um, won't find out until, you know, the injury report comes out tomorrow. We find out that Malcolm Brown is like broke his ankle or something and is out for. Well, if that's the, if that's the case, then then I can see that this move being made is, is for that reasoning. But I, I have a bad feeling that this is going to be one of those situations where you don't find out that he's hurt, um, that he's playing hurt. He might come up as questionable on the injury report, but I wouldn't be surprised if, okay. if he plays and, and okay. he plays hurt because that's a Belichick thing. OK, well, if he plays um, hurt, then I'm not as worried because that means that the ankle's OK. I just I feel like they're not signing this guy. They're not bringing in just some random guy unless they feel like there is like a good chance that Malcolm Brown's gonna be missing some time and he's not practicing. See, I, right I, now. I I disagree with you there, and, and for one reason is you know they had a roster spot because they moved Garoppolo. Um, it's unlike Belichick to not use that roster spot. Okay, okay, um, but it's just the fact that he's going like that he's picking D line instead of wide receiver or linebacker, which are spots where we know that they have injury concerns. I feel like that means that. That there's a hole there. It's just all I'm saying. Well, let me let me flip it the other way then. Maybe maybe there's injury concerns from our perspective, and Belichick thinks these guys will be healthy come you know come the stretch in January, because we all know, and I don't even need to look at the standings to know that the Patriots will be there. You know when we hit playoff time. Um, but what what do you what do you think about that? Is it possible that Belichick really thinks that these guys are going to get healthy before the, the playoffs, and he's trying to add a piece? on the defensive line because of that five yards per rush attempt I mean, that the Patriots I mean, are allowing. 
Ricky, know Ricky, that, you know, with with the Steelers. I mean, and, if you that's, know, the weapons like Le'Veon I just, Bell, I just think you're reading into it too much there, though. If you think that he's actually adding Ricky Jean Francisco just because he thinks he's going to contribute, because this this guy just sucks. This, this guy just kind of sucks. Like he's he played with the Packers and he's had two tackles all year. I just like I don't think he's adding him because he sees something in Ricky Jean Francisco that's like, oh, this I gotta bring this guy in. I feel like he's well, I mean, bring, that's always possible too, but no. I just Bell feel like he's looking at talent this all the time where we don't. So I just feel, I, and I don't I'm hesitant to question that. I just feel like he's looking at this and going, "Okay, I need a D tackle." For some reason, now I need a D tackle when I didn't before, and this is just the first guy who I see who I'm like, "Fine." This is just the first guy who's a free agent who I'm just fine. This guy, and I feel like for him to have done that, there must be something else going out of that position. But anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in Ricky Jean Francisco talk, even though I kind of like saying his name, but. And he's going to have, you know, two sacks in the interior this week now, obviously. But before we move on to some more broader NFL stuff, then we'll get into some Red Sox stuff here with you, Job. Predictions for this game against the Broncos. Seeing as how now I'm riding a hot streak right now. I'll let you go first, seeing as you're riding a hot streak. Oh, no, streak. no, go no. Right ahead. No, no, no. You go first. You go first. All right. I, I, have, the, I have the Patriots at 21 and uh, the Broncos at 14. 21-14. Oh, okay. You're taking my prediction from last week. Okay, I'm going to go... Actually, you know what? You know what? Because of that, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i make it uh, 21-9. I don't think they score a touchdown. 21-9. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go... Hmm. I'm going to go 24-14. I'm go- yeah, I'm honestly going to go... 24-14. I think that the Broncos are going to just do something by nature of being home field, by nature of that is I, I don't know. I just I just 24-14. I just feel like they're going to score twice. I don't know why. No, 24-13. No, screw it. I'm going 24-13. They're only going to score one touchdown. But I just yeah, 24-13 for me. I feel like the Patriots are going to have more issues scoring, but they're just get, they're going to have enough opportunities because of the ineptitude of the offense for the Broncos that they're just going to have enough chances to put up points. Okay, well, those are in the books now. I've written them down. We'll Good. look at them next week. <laughs> Am I going to keep up this hot streak? I really hope so. Anyway, so moving on from that, before we move into Red Sox, just what the, well, last week was a halfway point, but this is a halfway point for us because obviously we have the bye week and everything, so this is just a little easier of a halfway point. Well, last week would have been the point to talk about this, but the Garoppolo stuff obviously took precedence, so But, Joe, what do you think of, just generally, what do you think of the NFL season so far? Because I have some thoughts on it. Uh, well, I, I think that it's actually been a really good season for competitive. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams in this, in this league that are still, you know, sitting at 6-3, and 4-4, uh, 5-3, and three, mm-hmm. all depending on the bye weeks. And I, I think, especially in, in the... Um, AFC, we've seen some competitive football. Even if you know you have teams like the Chargers, who are sitting at three and five, who aren't bad teams. I think uh, the competitiveness in, of uh, the league so far has been pretty good this season. And you really had some surprising teams like the uh, like the Los Angeles Rams. I almost said St. Louis there. Uh, like the Los Angeles Rams, like the Vikings, um, who really stepped up and are playing really well. I think there's also teams. Who are playing a little bit worse, but who I expected to do better. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the Texans are playing terrible. Obviously, they've had well, they were, they were problems. on a fire until um, Deshaun Watson went down, 
which is yeah, absolutely the obviously Deshaun worst Watson's possible thing for the NFL. The but I, I agree. I think you know there are some teams who've been really good um, and just not showing up on the win column. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, the Redskins. I think the Redskins have been playing very well. I think they have a really tough division this year, mm-hmm. and they're just not they're just not really showing. They have up a lot of injury. Their entire O line is injured right now. Yeah, they have. They've had a lot of injury issues, and you know they're four and four. But I feel like they're more of a five and three, maybe even a six and two team. Okay. They don't have these injury problems, mm-hmm. especially since they're in the same division as the Giants, mm-hmm. who've just absolutely fallen off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know there are there are some teams that are really surprising, and only one team that really looks above everybody else in terms of talent, and that's obviously the Philadelphia Eagles, um, and Carson Wentz, who's turned into all of a sudden. MVP a caliber Reed, player, Peyton Manning caliber season. Um, maybe it's a flash in the pan uh, season, it's kind of the same way that we saw from Cam Newton when he won the MVP, where he just was, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else for one season and falls back to earth. But I don't know. He could be the next great young quarterback to emerge, and um, the Steelers look really good uh, despite mm-hmm. you know the early season woes of Big Ben. Yeah, yeah, me coming um, out they here. They really talking. relied. They really relied on Le'Veon Bell. I think. Their defense has stepped it up. Basically, yep. basically what I basically what I have to take away from this is there's a lot of competitive teams this season. Yeah, and um, and I really like it. No, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that's outside of Week Nine, which was just terrible. Really, last week was awful. Maybe in part because the Patriots weren't playing, but honestly, like last week was just so bad. If if you like if you don't like watching blowouts, which by the way I kind of like watching blowouts, but there really were not any good games last week except for. Falcons, Panthers, Ravens, Titans was pretty close, but only because it was a bad game. What did you What did you think of the uh, the Dallas Kansas City game? I watched that game. I enjoyed it, but it really never was that close. Just because I always, when the Chiefs are behind, I always have a hard time envisioning the Chiefs ever coming back. Just because of the way that team's built, they're not really built to come back. But Week Nine was bad, and if people want to, you know, go on in this whole oh the ratings are going down, this is why narrative, which I feel is super overblown. This whole thing about the ratings going down. I feel like otherwise, this has been a very good year for the NFL. There's been a lot of parody. I feel like you're right. You're right. This week has been was a rough, was was a awful. rough week. But I feel uh, like. In terms of competitive games. Yes. And I feel like. It's been upward trending. And I, but a lot, a part of me feels like now the other side of this, if you want to argue about against this year, the parody has been, maybe he's an MVP of your Mac. Maybe. The parody, I feel a lot of the time is in part due to just mediocrity in a way like the league is just a lot of teams it's just a mess of a lot of teams that are all playing kind of okay and that we're not seeing teams we're seeing a lot of games that are close because these teams aren't that great and that i mean i don't know do you think that's a good thing for the league or a bad thing i don't know it's it's tough it's a double-edged sword because in one way it makes the games closer which conceivably closer games are always good but then if they're not so well played and it's not necessarily great football that can also turn some people off. And I don't know. I don't know really it's tough because what matters more to the casual fan? Does the casual would the casual fan, which is what the NFL is worried about losing, because in the end they're never gonna lose us. They're never gonna lose a hardcore NFL fans, really. But you know, is a casual fan going to appreciate a kind of a game that's close because it's being played kind of badly by both teams? And by badly I mean on offense, because defensively you know the casual fans gonna care but like if it's a poorly played game but it's close and you know it's 
14-10 going into the fourth quarter, is that going to keep casual fans hooked? Or would they, or, you know, would they rather see a game that's, you know, one offense playing out of their mind, just destroying another team? Kind of like we saw with the Rams and Giants game, which I really enjoyed watching, by the way. I really enjoyed that game. But, you know, if it's one or the other, because obviously we can't just have good football. But, you know, if it's one or the other, what's going to be more appealing to the casual fan? Is it well played? Is it is it lopsided games that are lopsided because one team is just playing excellently? Or is it close games that are good because both teams are kind of mediocre? Well, I think it's I think it's the latter. I think it's because you, you involve more cities when you have a lot more teams that are in the in the hunt for the playoff race and a lot more teams who are No, who I get that point. I'm just saying like just in a so vacuum you, what's gonna hold somebody's interest more. Just like from like one game. Like one well, third like one Thursday night game. And, uh, one Thursday night. Uh, surprisingly, the Thursday night games have been a good product. This no, season. I'm, not, I'm just, um, I'm just saying in general, like in a vacuum, we're just talking about one game. Like, what's going to keep I think somebody tuning one, in? One team perform out of their minds is is better for for the average viewership. But I, then again, I don't know. I don't, I don't look at those numbers. And I prefer the competitive games over the blowouts, unless obviously it's the Patriots blowing somebody out. Um, but I look at teams like the Jaguars who are, you know, they're uh, an average to above average offense with a fantastic defense who are sitting at five and three at the top of their division. Um, And I look at that and I go, wow, Jacksonville's good. Like, this is the first time I can ever remember Jacksonville being good. And, you know, the Titans are five and three. Or, you know, the Redskins are four and four, but they look competitive to me too. And then you have teams, you know, in the on the West Coast like the Rams, who haven't been good in a long time, who are sitting at six and two, and, and they're they very exciting to watch. Above everybody else, uh, they are. They have an explosive offense, and you know, Jared Goff emerged last week as one of one of the. Ooh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Breaking news: the Packers, and this is coming from SB Nation. I'm getting this. The Packers have cut Martellus Bennett. Wow. Yeah, the Packers have released Martellus Bennett. So just to completely diverge from that, you know, do 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 breaking news here. That's big. Would you want the Patriots to right now? Patriots. Sign him right now. Sign him right now. And cut Dwayne Allen. No more Dwayne Allen. Bring it. Bring him on board right now. I. Yes, I agree. Do it. I don't want Dwayne Allen anymore. I'm done. Although they'd have to eat a ton of money. Get so. rid of Get rid of Dwayne Allen. Bring in Martellus Bennett right now. I mean, does he, this just happened. Bring Bring him in. I mean, I know he's injury. He won't be playing on Sunday. Who cares? Uh, Who, maybe he wasn't hurt. Right? Maybe they just made up the injury so they could not play him. Then just decided to cut him anyway. Uh, if they brought in Martellus Bennett right now, I would be over the moon. Ecstatic. Oh my god. He gives us he gives us so many more uh, weapons than than Allen yes. does. Yes. Um, and I think he would he can work do anything. So Anybody's better than Dwayne Allen. I think he would work so much better alongside Gronkowski than Dwayne Allen. I, we know that really, it works. Oh my God! Yes. Dwayne Allen, but uh, Martellus Bennett would be a, another weapon that we could use, and I think him and Rob Gronkowski really alleviate some, yeah, some we, difficulty. And we know... Uh, please go out and sign him. Oh, my God, yes. Even if it doesn't work. even Because, you know, he has talked about retiring at the end of this year. And, by the way, best Twitter, best athlete Twitter, except for maybe Juju Smith-Schuster now, who's kind of replacing it. But Martellus Bennett has an excellent Twitter. By the way, go follow him at Marty Sor- Soros Rex. But... He's ex- so maybe there's this chance that he just stops now. But, oh, my God, if he wants to play, please go sign him. He wants to play for the New England Patriots. Uh, I'm sure Bill Belichick is already on the phone. Please go sign Martellus Bennett. 
Oh, but if Christ, we bring in Martellus me... Bennett, uh, he adds a lot in the pass blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, he, just... he also adds a lot in terms of route running, um, and he's a he's another weapon that we could use. And Dwayne Allen really has been just sucks. On it just doesn't so do far. it. Just can't do. He's done absolutely. He has nothing. zero catches um, and can't block. So yeah, yeah so no. I, I would be I would be shocked if Belichick's not in on the hunt for this guy. Oh um, my we god! We know that he can play. No, they know the system. Wow, it just new, this really just took this whole show in a different direction. Wow, we this don't even need to talk about the Rams anymore. Now. This is a much more positive show now. I never get uh, to break news. News crazy. never breaking breaks news. in the middle of Wednesdays. I love this. Okay, yeah, you heard it here first. Martellus Bennett has been released by the Packers, and I want the Patriots to be in on that. That's probably not going to break today, but yeah. All right. That's exciting. That's maybe, maybe that breaks next. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, so so the, Packers, the Packers apparently ruled him out for the second week in a row, uh, so he's also injured. So maybe that's something that we have to look at in terms of, in terms of signing somebody who's injured. Yeah, you know, we have but, enough injury issues yeah, as is. If he's good to but go by the playoffs. If he's playoff, good to play, if he's not care. good to play this week. I don't uh, care. If he's good to play in the playoffs. <laughs> he wouldn't play this week um, anyway. Like, <laughs> Wayne oh Allen, my God. disaster at tight end. Absolutely. Uh, bring in Martellus Bennett. And, Eat uh, the money on Dwayne Allen. I don't care. We can do. They have the cap at space. Point, at this point, we're so invested. You know, you might as well eat the money. Uh, like you said, why not? He's just uh, so bad. If we could bring in, if we could bring in Martellus Bennett, I'm sure. Oh. I'm sure, he can make a difference. Uh, both pass blocking, catching, blocking, knows the offense, running, catching. Never and he knows really, the offense. Never really got to well see him play with played. Gronk last year. But when he did play here, he was effective. Absolutely. And I, I think. Our offense really hasn't changed that much. It's more the play calling that's changed. I'm it's sure changed it's because they don't have the personnel changes. to do what they did last year. But if we brought in Martellus Bennett, I'm sure we could we could really make that work. And oh. I know that he has a good repertoire with Tom Brady. Um, I would be really shocked if Belichick is not one of the first guys on his call sheet. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to check his Twitter right I'm, now, make sure he hasn't like announced his retirement. But Oh, please. Please tell oh me that my. he hasn't because that's just made me super excited. Oh my going god, me too. Into week ten and, and eleven because I doubt he signs right away. Well, he hasn't said um, anything, so I don't care. <laughs> does, but does, I would, that's not I would a no. Really love it. Oh my god, yes. Holy hell, would I love that? All right. Well, thanks actually to wow. friend of the show, the Murphquake, Brian Murphy, for texting me this and, and letting me know to look this up. So thank you to him. But you heard it that's here first, fantastic. everybody. Martellus Bennett has. Been cut by the Packers, and please, for the love of God, come to New England. Anyway, we're going to move on from football, because I don't think we can really talk about this for too much. So, something I want to talk about now is that Mookie Betts, the other day, has won the Golden Glove for right field. Jackie Bradley Jr., you know, the infallible, amazing center fielder, who's a piece that they cannot possibly move on from, was, uh, Joe, where, what place did Jackie Bradley Jr. come in for the Golden Glove? What place did he come in in the uh, voting? I think it was fifth. I believe uh, he was even not even in the voting. Three. I don't believe he was even part of the conversation. I'm pretty sure he wasn't even in the running. He, he didn't even... make the finals for sure, but I, I think he was top five. Um, I'm pretty sure he wasn't. I'll look, I'll look that up at some point. I'm pretty certain that Jackie Bradley wasn't even like in the discussion, so, you know. Maybe him. So, you know, are you willing to accept a guy who can't hit? Cause he's like, you know, maybe the sixth or seventh best center fielder in the league. Cause I'm not, but anyway, so with that, with the Red Sox having new management, I know we've talked about this before and how I really want the Red Sox to overhaul, overhaul the, the core of this team. Another just narrative that started to come out that I think is interesting. Cause I like it. Cause it lets me 
give the Red Sox more crap for their young core. Is this thinking about it, looking at it now with the Astros winning, with the Yankees, with even the Indians, with the Dodgers, even with these other teams? We've been focusing a lot for the last couple of years. Oh, well, the Red Sox going to be great when this young core, you know, Bogarts, Bradley, Betts, the Killer Bees, when they come into their own, this team is going to be so dangerous. But have we gotten to the have these guys come into their own? Because you look at it, these guys are getting older. They're getting to the point now where they're going to be needing to get big contracts soon. And I'm starting to wonder now with some of these guys, with Bogarts and Bradley particularly, We've seen they've, you know, they've gone on these big, people have described them as, you know, they've just been going through downspins lately. They've had, you know, down periods lately. But with Bradley, with Bogarts, who I'm starting to think that those good streaks with them are actually the aberration. And maybe the way that they've been playing normally is more the norm for them. Which, not to say that they're not talented, but, you know... The further away we get from Jackie Bradley having a 29-game hitting streak, where we get from Bogarts hitting with real power for half a season, the further away we get from those times, from those streaks they went on, they just look more and more like good st- good stretches for them as opposed to the norm for them, which maybe isn't as good as people think it is. You know, it's a scary thought, but I think you're right. I think you're very right. I think uh, they've been very overrated perhaps by the Red Sox and, and the media in Boston because they really wanted us to compete for a championship. Yes, and not and not to say, um, but just the fact that, you know, Bogarts was really good the second half of last year. And when you compare that to one year, yeah, it looks good. You know, okay, he had a good second half last year, so he was good half the time. He just had a, a bad first half, but then all of last season, he wasn't that great. So now, you know, that's one half of two seasons. He was really good and showed this potential. And then what happens next year if he's not good for the first half? Now, you know, 20% of the last seasons he's played, he's been good. It it just, I start to wonder if maybe these guys have, not saying that they've hit their ceiling, but maybe that ceiling isn't nearly as high as we've made it out to be. And maybe these stretches are just stretches for these guys. And not to say the same about Mookie Betts, because I think that he's... Sorry, I don't want to take you off your, your, your game here. And I know, you know, we have certain stuff we want to talk about and stuff no. that we really don't want to get into, but uh, Juan Carlos Stanton. Juan Carlos Stanton. That's all I want to talk about in terms of bringing in power, bringing in a young bat, bringing in a guy we really need in order to win a championship. I... If, if we have to get rid of all three of these young guys, and Ben Attendee, Bogarts, and Bradley, get rid of all three of them. You see, I I'm don't not... care. I want power in this lineup, and I don't think that these three guys can really do it. I think they've been, like we already mentioned when we talked about the Red Sox and the Yankees, you know, earlier in the playoffs before the Red Sox mm-hmm. uh, fell apart. I think they've been overrated. I think there are other teams in baseball that have better young players. And that's another thing um, I want to get into. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what Alex Cora can do with this team. Um, I think we do have some weapons, but I think we're missing a, a lot in terms of talent. Um, I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, and I and I asked that because I'm more of a J.D. Martinez guy right now, but that's fine. They need to bring in a power guy, and you brought up the other young cores of the team, which was something I was trying to get to. I completely got off track for. I think it's pretty obvious that the young core of the Astros, the young core of the Yankees, the young core of the Indians, that you know their young core has surpassed the Red Sox young core. And if that's the case... I don't think you can just suddenly rely on these guys to all, you know, 
suddenly come into their own and you become a dominant team because, like I said, your other teams in the conference, they've already done that. You know, they already no, have... I, I agree. I think, you know, and I know that John Farrell was the first manager to win back-to-back title, division titles for a while. Um, and I know that our division is really competitive and one of the most competitive divisions in baseball where we have three really good teams and then the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, but, and then, you know, the Orioles are sometimes good, sometimes not. Um, but there's no, there, you know, there's no excuse in Boston for, you know, getting to the playoffs and losing. There's no consolation yeah, no. prize. And that's my, we want the world series title. And I know Alex Cora mentioned it in his introductory press conference. Um, he was really good in talking about it. Which, by the way, was a good press uh, conference. He said, yeah, it was a great press conference. He did, you know, a, good, he said, he did a good job. What did he say? Uh, you know, he did a great job. And he said, you know, I know that Boston eats, sleeps, and breathes baseball for 24-7. And I look, I come from a country that eats, breathes, sleeps baseball 24-7. I was excited to hear that. I mean, I know that having played in Boston, he understands the pressures. Having won a title in Boston, he understands what it takes mm-hmm. um, from a player's perspective. But like he said himself, you know, players win championships, not managers. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited to see what he can do with this team, but I don't think he has the weapons that he needs in order to overcome the Astros or the Dodgers or the Yankees, for that matter, on his way to the top, let alone who I think the best team in baseball is in the Cleveland Indians. Um, I think there's so much more to do. Um from Dave Dabrowski's mm-hmm. perspective, and if he doesn't make a move and we go into this season with Alex Cora and the same core we had last year, we might win a few more games, but I don't think that we, not, by any means, are a World Series contender. No, because like I said, you know, the, the core of this team, I feel like it's been surpassed by these other teams, and I think that they need... And I get worried because seemingly just from some things that Dave Dombrowski's saying, it doesn't seem like he really feels the need to make a big move. Excuse me. Feels the need to make a big move, which scares me a lot. So I, yeah, I hope that that he's just lying, and that, like I said, they go out and sign JD Martinez, which is free, by the way, which is why I like you. So I have to give anything up to throw money at him, or they trade for John Carlos Stanton, or just something, because they need to make a major shakeup to the core of this team, which is what I bring up every time I talk about this team right now, and I'm just finding new ways to phrase it, but that's what the Red Sox need to do. And that's just, I hope that we see that and they have the assets to do it. So, I, I mean, I, that's all I really want to talk about that. And we're getting up to the halfway point of the 5 o'clock hour. It's just one more quick thing I want to talk to you about, Job, is, oh, my God, I'm really excited for this 30 for 30 that got announced today. Oh, the, the Bill and Bill? The Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, 30 for 30. Oh, my God, can oh, I now wait for that so thing? So exciting. I saw, the, I saw the trailer late last night. Was it announced last night? I, I laughed. The trailer came out late last night about uh, during, during the uh, Ric Flair 30 for 30. They released the trailer, I believe. Which I need to Bill watch, Parcells, by the Bill way. Belichick. I, have to, I, I pulled it up. It's actually open on my laptop. I'll watch it as soon as uh, I'm off the air with you. But... Um, I'm so excited. You know, I watched right. the trailer. I don't know if you've seen the trailer yet, um, but Bill Belichick resigning from the Jets one day after Parcells. Oh, just me. I just. Laugh. I hope that we get something I, from this. Oh my God! I, I wa- really do. I, I want I, this I, I bad. Have, I really hope it's great. Unfortunately, I have a bad feeling that this spells, you know, not the end. But I think it. I think it really foreshadows the beginning of the end of the Belichick in a Patriots uniform. I think 
Oh God, no! We might have a few a few fewer seasons than we think if he's willing uh, to let them make a thirty. You think? About it. I don't. I don't know. I feel like they might have approached him about this, and maybe they've been approaching him. About, I don't know. I'd have to know more before I'd say that. Because if they've been approaching him about this for years to make this, and he just kept saying no, and now he said yes, then yes, I I'd buy into that. I'd think this is a merit to that. But I I need to hear that first. And I don't want to believe that. So I I need to find Neither out. I want to believe that this is going to be a great thirty for thirty. I need to find out like what the the deal with that is. But that that's an interesting tape. But yeah, I just wanted to just gush about that for a second because I'm so excited for that. I love these thirty oh, for thirty. Oh, very excited. Oh, how I'm excited! Also very excited about. The, I know you already spoke about the Celtics for the first half of your show, so I won't get involved. But I'm very excited to see this this win streak continue tonight against Los Angeles and to see Lonzo Ball get shut down oh not a Lonzo uh, fan all right well actually Joe I'm gonna it's about time uh, for us to go to commercial it's been great having you. it's been a very good segment very productive uh, little segment here a lot of fun here today Joe but anyway thanks for coming yeah, on we had a great time thank you Jake no problem I'll let, get, I'll let you get back to your other co-hosts and on to your last segment thanks Joe we'll see you next week anyway we have been talking to Joe Gudrid of real sports 101.com he joins us every week right here on the state of experience with Jake Elmsley Anyway, though, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley, or you're watching the official Mike Kane Memorial live stream. So, but we are going to be taking a quick break here. They'll be right back. Have some just little odds and ends from around the world of sports I want to talk about before I let you all go. So anyway, we will see you in just a minute. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. I'm alright, nobody but about me. Why you got to give me a fight? Can't you just let it be? 90.7 WXIN Stadium Experience, Jake Elmsley, right here in the studio on the official on the Mike Cave Memorial live stream. We were just talking to Joe Gruden of Real Sports 101.com, talking to the Patriots talking some breaking news about Martellus Bennett being released by the Packers, which I'm just ecstatic that I got to break news. And talking some baseball, talking about the Red Sox, talking about the NFL in general. Now we're going to kind of circle back some more NFL stuff here, some more, uh, some legal matters, which if you don't know about this yet, I believe Friday, yes, on Friday, Adam Schefter reported that Colin Kaepernick, who's currently suing the NFL for collusion, has gotten a court order from well his lawyers I'm not Kaepernick but his lawyers have to get the you know to have certain NFL owners hand over their cell phones the NFL owners listed are Jerry Jones obviously the owner of the Cowboys Jerry Jones Ted York of the 49ers excuse me Jed Jed York of the 49ers Paul Allen the owner of the Seahawks Tom Mara the owner of the Giants Bob McNair, the owner of the Texans, which is different. He's different than those guys. And then finally, why it's relevant here is Robert Kraft, which the choice of owner, well, the fact that he was even able to get this court order shows that the court is actually taking this collusion case seriously enough. And the fact now, but the owners he chose, I think is interesting. I think that it reflects on, I think it shows a certain strategy by Kaepernick's legal team, which outside of Bob McNair, who, who doesn't matter, Bob McNair, who those other five guys, York, Allen, Jones, Mara, Kraft, those are, you know, some of the biggest 
most influential, besides the 49ers who suck, but still ownership-wise, brand-wise, those are some of the biggest, most influential owners. And the fact that he's going after them, I think is interesting, because I, I think it's his legal team trying to send some kind of a message. Or maybe they just specifically think that those guys have something, but I don't really know what. But the fact that he's going after them specifically, I think is interesting. Jerry Jones makes total sense, because Jerry Jones has been telling his players from the beginning, Oh, you guys can't kneel for the anthem. I'm Jerry Jones. You'll do this on the Cowboys. So you know, you can believe that maybe he's sending the other guys texts saying, also, don't sign this guy. And then, you know, that's collusion if they say yes. But so going after Jones makes sense just from not even from him being, you know, one of the biggest, most important NFL owners. But he also is. So that one makes a pretty good amount of sense. Then Mara, obviously, I mean, Mara is one of the longest tenured owners I believe in the league he's another one of the big most influential owners in the league and then York Paul Allen has really came into his own since the Seahawks have started having success this last couple of years last five ten years then Robert Kraft now is interesting because obviously if you're going after the biggest owners Robert Kraft is probably one of the most influential owners right now outside of you know beef between him and the league or no beef between him and the league. Robert Kraft you know one of the big top tier owners but Bob Kraft has also supposedly always been a player's guy. He's always been a guy who has been sympathized with players' concerns during lockouts, during this, during that. Supposedly during the all these meetings that the league and the players have been having lately over anthem protests and all that, Bob Kraft has been, you know, he's been sitting with the players. He's been sensitive to what they've wanted to say. He's listened to them. He's heard them out and supposedly... Bob Kraft has been, for the most part, on the side of the players in a lot of this, or at least he's been sympathetic to the players. So, supposedly, he would not be, you know, the first guy you'd want to go after to prove some kind of collusion. But if... But then, on the other hand, I could imagine that maybe the Kaepernick legal team, they're coming from the perspective of, well, if we can prove that Bob Kraft took part in this, that Bob Kraft has actually just been all talk, that maybe he's been taking calls, and he's been sending out texts saying like, yeah, ho, 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 none of us are going to sign Kaepernick, and then, you know, laughing maniacally alongside the rest of them, that, you know, if this guy's doing it while he's wearing his Air Force Ones and, you know, dapping people up, well, maybe the other, maybe that just means that it's pretty obvious that all of them are colluding against Kaepernick, which, by the way, they are probably all colluding against Kaepernick. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to find that, but... Maybe that maybe it comes from a second of, or maybe they just think that Bob Kraft is just full of crap and that he's just as bad as the rest as the rest of them, which is probably true because they're all pretty bad people. But if they can prove that. So it's either from the perspective of just trying to go after the biggest owners and that Bob Kraft just falls into that, or maybe it is just. We want to go after we just f figure if we can, you know, if we can prove that Bob Kraft is colluding, we can prove that everybody's colluding. So, you know, that's interesting. Or maybe Kaepernick's legal team is just really salty that they signed Hoyer instead of Kaepernick. But, so that's an, in, in, so that's just, that's a way to look at it as, you know, we try to untangle our way through what's going on here legally. So, it's Tom Lima coming in to join me. This is breaking news. What's the breaking news, Tom? No, I don't. <laughs> well, Adina's students no more. Well, 
Mm, what happened? What happened with the dean of students? Okay, break it, Tom. What happened with the dean of students? Play it on me. Well, according to the uh, the vice president of student success, Dr. Jason Merriweather, he just released a statement saying, I don't need the whole statement. I'm doing some Kaepernick news, Tom. His letter is to inform you that Dr. Scott Kane is no longer serving as dean of students at Ryan College. Hmm. And that Dr. Barissa Weiss and Shona Ottenberger will be taking over as co-dean hmm. in the interim. Interesting. So breaking news on 90.7 WXIN. I'll count that. That's two breaking news things today. Anyway, they're back to Kaepernick. So, thank you, Tom. So, him going after Kraft, that says some interesting things. And it's an interesting approach by the legal team. This will be kind of fun. I'm kind of excited to see if they find anything on these guys' phones. If they get these guys' phones, if, you know, Bob Kraft takes the same hammer that Brady took to his phone during the event and just smashes it up and throws it into Boston Harbor. So maybe they never get this phone, but I would be pretty interested to see what they find. And also, I would be pretty willing to believe that they'll be able to find something. If there's something to find on these guys' phones, I would also believe that, you know, this group of, you know, primarily or that is a bunch of elderly men that maybe they're not the most tech savvy and that may I would believe that maybe they're not, you know, deleting their texts and messages that maybe they should be. And maybe they don't have interns doing that stuff for them. So just there are some angles to this whole case. And it'll be interesting to see because obviously you know, Ka Kaepernick isn't, isn't getting signed now since he's suing the league. None of them are going to sign him, obviously. So I think that we can, you know, we can at least put the pin in analyzing every time a QB gets signed. Because, yeah, if Kaepernick wasn't suing the league and then the Texans were signing TJ Yates, yeah, that one's kind of some bull. But also, yeah, at this point, we can kind of we can back off of that angle from it from a little bit instead of fun with more legal NFL battles. <laughs> you get to follow the NFL and their legal, legal, legal battles all over the place, which is just... It's always great. The NFL is just, if you love legal drama, it's the place for you. Anyway, though, I don't really care much about the Eric Bledsoe trade to talk about it. So it's that time of day again. When I bid, all of you do. You've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. You've been watching the Mike Kane Memorial live stream here off of the official Stadium Experience Facebook page. Thank you to everybody for watching. Tune in next week when I talk about, I don't know what, whatever's going on. <laughs> If you like the episode, you want to listen to any parts of it that you missed, don't be afraid to check out the official Stadium Experience SoundCloud or download the show on iTunes. Also, the video, of course, be saved on Facebook. I apologize for the beginning of it. I apologize for this episode getting off, getting up a little late, getting off to kind of a rough start. I had some tech issues. But anyway, we will be back next week, Wednesday, from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on 90.7 WXIN. Anyway, you've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley. I'm Jake Elmsley, signing off.